0: You know, I am no longer that girl that has to hide in the toilets in PE lessons at school because I thought I was really bad at sport. I'm no longer that girl. I am actually someone who can survive, who, who can be tough. So you start realising all these things and then it applies to other areas of life without you realising
1: it. Hello and welcome to Run the Business, the podcast that explores the place where running and leadership come together. We'll find out how running can help us with leading, connecting with people, and generally being better in business. We'll also try and answer that question, do runners make better leaders? I'm Anthony Gay, and today I'm joined by someone who went from being a journalist in London, who enjoyed being out at glitzy and maybe often boozy parties, to taking on triathlons and endurance running challenges. She says that the lessons she's learned from getting cold, wet, muddy, and exhausted in her triathlon life, doing endurance challenges lasting up to 12 hours, have transferred into tenacity in business. Since then, she's also set up her own company, Thought Leadership PR. She also captured her journey in a book, This Girl Ran. Helen Croydon, welcome to Run the Business. Thank you for having me. What a lovely intro. How are you today, Helen?
0: I'm good. I actually did a, a hill rep session this morning, so um, I'm I'm a little, my legs are a little bit tired, uh, but I'm nice and perky. My desk, which running always leaves me perky
1: to start the day. Great to hear. And tell us where, where you are in the world.
0: Well, I live in Brighton. Uh, which I actually moved here two years ago from London uh, but my business is based in London so we have a hybrid working system where we work together about two days a week and we work from home the rest of the time.
1: And where does most of your running take place these days? Is it, Do you get it in in London or is it in Brighton or, or whereabouts?
0: In, in Brighton really you know I'm I'm equidistant from the sea and the downs so when I moved here I wanted to be between the two because I thought I'm going to use the sea for swimming and I'm going to use the downs for running Mm -hmm. and um, I absolutely love running on the downs. If I'm going to do a long run I'll get up on the downs and do a really long hilly run Uh, but obviously if I'm going to do more you know shorter interval training then um, I'll be in, in the town either on a track or in a park or this morning I did some some hill reps, which Brighton is brilliant for that.
1: Great stuff. And let's start with this girl, Ren. When when did she start running?
0: It was about 10 years ago, you know. Well, I say, I mean, I've always done a little bit of running. I've always been sort of fit, you know, a bit of a gym bunny sort of fit. So my whole Mm -hmm. life. So I don't want to give the impression that I went from a couch potato to an athlete. It wasn't quite that dramatic. But... Prior to 10 years ago, I was very much just kept fit for health reasons, really, and, and weight management, just like most people, I suppose. And I would go, you know, I might do like a 20-minute run or I'd go to the gym or whatever. And I always joked that my fitness always took place in temperature-controlled environments. So that yeah. meant, you know, like like uh, air-conditioned gym or I'd go for a run on a sunny day or something, you know. Uh, so everything changed changed 10 years ago and what happened was I was getting to that age I was in my mid 30s then where I thought I need something new in my social life that doesn't evolve around long boozy lunches or going out for drinks and it did seem like every time I saw a friend there was alcohol involved on some level you know Mm. and um I I still had that craving for a social life but i needed something that was a bit more wholesome and sadly in our culture there isn't that Well, not in london anyway where i lived at the time there wasn't really much of that so i searched for sports clubs and i found that there was a sports club near me at the time i was living in east london so Mm -hmm. i went along to a running club called victoria park harriers and i rocked up And I wasn't, you know, I didn't even go because I wanted to up my running. It was literally just this kind of idea of, oh, um, maybe they have days out on Saturdays to running events and it'll be a nice group environment and, um, you know, sort of group day out. So I rocked up. I didn't really have any proper running kit at that point. I think I had some trendy gym outfit, you know, yoga pants and a nice top probably and I rocked up and it was full of all these hardened seasoned runners and I felt really intimidated and um, they were splitting up into three groups and the fastest group was doing a 10 mile run and I think maybe because I was feeling like I didn't really belong I thought oh I better do the 10 mile run just to prove <laughs> that I do belong.
1: You went in hard. Yeah. I
0: don't go in hard. I've never run more than 10K, right, which is six miles. So I remember doing this 10 mile run, my first time at this uh, running club, and I nearly died. You know, I actually felt like my hamstring was gonna snap. Uh, and I think, yeah, we, we, I ended up walking the last two miles. But that was it. That was my inauguration to a running club. And that's how it all started. I remember feeling sick afterwards, but I also felt this sense of achievement and slowly I got more and more involved in the running club and I went off to cross country races with them at weekends and it was a big revelation, getting cold and muddy, which I just hadn't done that kind of thing before. And then through that, Mm -hmm. some people in the club were into cycling, so I got into cycling and so on and it just began this journey of getting into endurance sport and a triathlon
1: and when the running started to fill up your life and the other endurance sports stuff that you were doing did you still try and balance it with with those nights out and and the drinking and, and the work stuff or, or did it sort of start to go down in, in the other part of your life how, how did you kind of balance the two oh
0: yeah I think I was ready to stop that side of life so I was already winding that down anyway you know and that was the whole reason why I was inspired to join some sort of sporty group um I think Mm -hmm. because I'd I'd stopped going out as much just purely because I wanted to you know feel good and um wanted to invest in my career so I think the fact that I ended up at a running club was that there was a gap in my life you know I was starting to feel a little bit um a little bit bored so that side was already winding down really and I just filled the gap and um, but it's hard because friends that you build up over life are still into that kind of lifestyle so and you obviously still want to see those friends so mm. I ended up still seeing those friends but feeling like the boring ones saying oh actually you know not going to drink or you lose touch with those friends it's quite hard Mm -hmm. making a making a transition I think into a new lifestyle
1: did the club make you welcome because we talk a lot about the community spirit of of running whether it's clubs park run or you know or big events How, how over that sort of initial period did you did you integrate yourself into the club
0: Yeah that's a really good question and they did you know they I think that whole community of running and endurance sport generally is a really welcoming community and that was one of the observations I had about this new world that was going into that was very different to my uh, previous social life was that it just seemed so wholesome really you know and it wasn't this sounds such a, a strange thing to say, but when I had this you know, London city fast lifestyle, everything is a little bit all about what you wear or state. Not, not completely, but, but a lot of it uh, is all, was all about that. And going into this new scene of a running club, I found that um, social status was almost wiped out didn't really matter what you did, everyone's there in their running kit and a hoodie at the end. You know, we often went to um this bar, the running club had its own bar, which was <laughs> brilliant. So on a on a Thursday after the lo- the long runs, the bar would open and we'd all sort of sit around and we'll just have maybe one or two beers and everyone would chat. And everyone's on an even keel because everyone's just in their hoodies and they're talking about their hobby and what they, uh, you know, w- what they enjoy, which is running and the outdoors. And everyone's got a story about some race they've done or some time when they got freezing cold or they got lost or they got injured and they had to limp back. And you know, it's full of war stories. And I just thought that that was so wholesome and so nice. Um, so yeah, they did welcome me. Though saying that I did have a little bit of imposter syndrome and I think that was because I felt I hadn't come from this hardy background I didn't see myself as a sporty person I was the person at school who hated PE I used to skive in the toilets because I hated it so much because I used to feel the cold so much and uh, and I just hated so I did feel a little bit of imposter syndrome yeah but I think that was me I I think actually everyone was really welcoming
1: at what point did you feel like you were a runner at what point did it sort of click and go yeah I, I am this 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 is me now
0: Oh, that's a good question. I think it was a gradual thing, but I do have—I've got a few milestones Mm. in my memory bank, and some of them are very small things, and some of them are bigger things. One of my big, one of my small milestones was going to a cross-country race for the first time. Now, cross-country race is—it's—it's outside in in the field it's always in in the field somewhere it's always in the winter and one of the defining characteristics of cross-country races they're really muddy <laughs> so yeah. and they're quite short they're only like four or five miles but they're usually hilly and the whole club goes there and there's loads of local clubs around and all the clubs gather together under their little canopy and or the little gazebos and then they run this they run the race and then often they go to the pub afterwards And I remember running through this really muddy field and there was this massive pool of water. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is this like, I'm going to have to run through the mud. And this sounds like such a small thing, but um, instinct, right, when you've been a bit of a city gym buddy like me is oh no the mud, i'm gonna get all muddy it's gonna hurt it's gonna i'm gonna get wet feet i'm gonna get splattered with mud so you have this natural resistance and i remember just charging through this mud thinking yeah the mud's not gonna hurt me right and that was all a little milestone for me because Brilliant. i kind of thought you know what nothing bad happened my feet didn't fall off i didn't get an incurable disease Mud is just mud, and it sounds such a, a small thing, but that was a milestone for me.
1: Mm. And, and at what point, when you were doing that, did you start to see the the benefits? Not just in business, but in in your life. When when did you start to think, actually, this is I'm, I'm a better person for this. I'm 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 growing. I'm doing stuff. Yeah, I
0: was starting to see that all the time. It's it's the tenacity that comes with these challenges so i started off doing these shorter races getting muddy you know getting cold going to the pub afterwards sitting there in my in my leggings and hoodie uh, splattered in mud which in itself when you're kind of been a former glamorous city girl is an mm-hmm. achievement in itself that all now seems like small fry. And what happened was gradually, I built up doing um, bigger things. So from that I got into cycling and I remember my first long cycle ride, what I characterise as long would be about 100K. So, yeah. you know, you, you get the first few times you do it, you get really tired. So I remember things like feeling hunger, like I've never feel, felt hunger before, you know, hunger where you actually feel dizzy and what that is you know scientifically i know that that's because you've completely depleted your carbohydrate stores um Mm. i know what that is now but at the time didn't know what that was and my body wasn't trained for that um things like then going on a cycle ride in the rain and when you've got wet clothes against your skin for literally four hours you know you you feel cold like you've never felt it's not just getting a bit chilly you know you actually start to go a bit dizzy (laughs) Mm. um or other things like getting a puncture in the middle of nowhere and my reaction in the past might have been oh just give it to someone else or fix it for me you know I'll batter my eyelids and someone will come along but when you're in the middle of the peak district say because I've gone away on a cycling trip and you're on your own and you're on the top of a hill and the wind is coming at you and you get a puncture and you've got to fix it and so things like that these little milestones that's they're the things that made me realize that Um, you can do things if you absolutely have to you know and that's when I started to realize that yeah this is making me um this is making me tougher this is giving me survival skills um you know another milestone was starting open water swimming um I remember going to um open water lake in Essex the first time ever because I decided I wanted to do triathlons but Mm -hmm. I hadn't done open water swimming so I went along with someone from my running club who was a seasoned open water swimmer and I went with them (laughs) and the water, it was only May, uh, around May, the water's not that warm. It's only about 14 degrees, which if you're not used to the cold water, is pretty cold. I can swim in that no problem now, but at the time, uh, really cold. And again, you know, you get so cold that I got out and, and I fell over when I got out of the water and that's, because again I know the scientific reason for it it's because all the blood goes to your vital organs and then you get up and the blood disperses and you're not used to it and it can Mm. make you go dizzy and make you fall over so all these things which at the time you think oh my god I'm dying (laughs) something really bad is happening but you have to find that mental resilience to go no I'm okay I'm gonna I'm gonna warm up so I think it was just this gradual realization that you can survive things and that Uh, My body is tougher than I thought it was. You know, I am no longer that girl that has to hide in the toilets in PE lessons at school because I thought I was really bad at sport. I'm no longer that girl. I am actually someone who can survive, who who can be tough. So you start realizing all these things and then it applies to other areas of life without you realizing it.
1: So your confidence grew, you, you know, that resilience that you talk about grew, and then, when did you start to notice from a business perspective? Because did you have the, uh, you know, thought leadership PR? Were, were they in existence? Was it in in existence at that point, or did that come later? I'm just trying to understand when you saw you, you saw you start to change, grow as a person, and then how how did that impact on what you were doing in in business?
0: Yeah. So at the time, I didn't have my own business. Um, I started thought leadership PR four years ago and my running journey started 10 years ago. So um, at the time when I first got into all this running and triathlon, I was still a journalist and I was a freelance journalist. And um, I was uh, like most freelance journalists, struggling to get work because it's an incredibly competitive um, industry. Uh, But I did start to see how it was making me tougher again in um, with work but I think it was a double-edged sword because also what happened was freelance journalism wasn't going that well simply because it's so hard to get work but yet I could see all these gains in my fitness life so I kind of threw myself so much into the fitness world where I could see gains and maybe neglected um my career a little bit obviously that's not sustainable so it did then lead to me starting to reconsider my career and starting to face up to the reality that perhaps journalism is not really a sustainable long-term career anymore and I might need to think about um, applying my skills elsewhere so um, and that is around that's you know when I started to to, um, make the transition really from being a journalist to being a consultant who advises on getting into the media and that was a transition that happened um so i didn't it wasn't like i said right i'm gonna start a business now it was a very organic transition uh, because i realized that people were asking me lots of questions like how can i get in the media how can i get a book deal how could i get on the radio because at the time being an author and journalist i was often asked to go on TV or radio and give commentary etc which sounds really glamorous and sounds super successful and, and I guess it was but there's no money in it so I was feeling there was a disconnect between how successful people thought that I was and how successful I actually was so then I started when, when all these people were asking me how do I get into the media I started to do a little bit of consultancy. I started to say, "Well, you know, I can tell you that, but you know, why don't I do a little consultancy session with you?" So that's how it happened. I started doing little bits uh, of work. I did some media training. I ran some workshops on how to get into the media, and that was then my transition into uh, PR and media consultancy. So after a while, when I realised that there is a viable business model here, that's when I thought, "Okay, I'm going gonna, gonna to." actually make the switch uh, stop my journalism and do this full time and that's how thought leadership PR came about and I do think that the running and um, that whole journey of endurance sport gave me the confidence to do that because I think it does give you again it comes down to that can do attitude it comes down to the kind of yeah yeah I you know need to make a change here and i'm going to do this not to mention that i was also had a lot more mental energy because i was more healthy and i wasn't um going out and pretty much given up drinking so i had so much more mental energy and mental clarity to invest in that
1: and that was a question i wanted to ask looking back now do you think you would have made those or made that switch into the space that you're in now Without the the running and the endurance and and, and becoming a, a healthier person, do you, do you think you could have or would have ended up in the same place? I know it's hard to say.
0: That's really interesting. I haven't uh, I haven't thought about that. Um, I think it might have happened organically anyway. I had, certainly had to do something. The the media industry, journalism, etc., is sadly, uh, you know. A dying industry, or, or rather, a, a changing industry. So something would have happened, yes. Um, whether I would have transitioned so quickly or with such uh, clarity, possibly not.
1: Thinking of the events that you've taken part with, uh, taken part in over the years, is there anything that sticks out? A story, a particular run that you can tell us about? that sticks out as something special in in the last 10 years?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few. <laughs> um, there's quite a few. Let me think. Um, one of the toughest things I've done was a, what you call a swim run event in Norway. Swim run sounds like, oh, you just get, you know, you kind of do a few laps in a pool and then run around a park. That's what it sounds like. It's not a swim run. Is a, a new, fairly new um, sport that's emerged from Scandinavia, and it means a very large amount of running and swimming, alter alternating between the two constantly over very rough terrain, and you're going from one point to another point, traversing a huge, um, a huge distance over very uh, natural, often rocky, hilly terrain. So I did this one in Norway. Don't ask me where, because I'm rubbish at remembering place <laughs> names. Somewhere very beautiful in Norway. And yeah. um, we um, traversed these um, archipelagos um, of you know, little, little mini islands and, uh, and forests and rocky ground. And I think in total, the distance we covered running was longer than a marathon it was like 45k or something like that which is about about 26 27 miles Uh, and the amount of swimming we did was about eight kilometers which is about five miles but that's all it's all mixed in with each other and then add to that because you have to be self-sufficient you have to swim in your trainers and run in your wetsuit so i wore special little wet a special wetsuit not like the normal one that you do a swim in it's like a kind of shorty version it's it's a particular swim run wetsuit has a bit more flexibility than a normal wetsuit
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, you cut the arms and legs out and um the added uh, challenge is that you get very hot when you're running because you're in this neoprene wetsuit but you get very cold when you're swimming Um, And the trainers, when you're swimming, really drag you down. So to give you perspective, because I had to do a lot of training by um, swimming in a swimming pool in trainers. And it's something like the lag that that gives you is about a third. So whatever distance I would normally swim in with no trainers, when you swim in trainers, I was about one third slower. And you think, so you're doing 8K distance. It's probably about the equivalent of... Of twelve k distance, wow. okay. um, and then you have the chafing because you're in this kit and you're constantly alternating in and out of the water, so you have this massive chafing going on. Um, extremes of you know your body's going from hot to cold, and um, you're clambering out of the water over rocks, often quite slippy, um, and then over the the running, you know, often. It's not just running you're scrambling up really steep cliff faces um and there's no signposting either so you have to navigate yourself so it's pretty tough you have to do it in pairs you're not allowed to do it on your own and the rules are that you can't be further than two meters from your partner the whole way around so i did it with uh with a guy from my running club and um it, it was it was painful. We we had a lovely time at first. We were really enjoying it. Uh, but then it got pretty painful. And all our food, because we have to carry food and
1: everything. We carried it in a little bum bag. Even when you're swimming? Even when you're swimming?
0: Yes, yes. So we have to choose things that are sealed. Yeah. You know, like energy bars or things that are, are watertight, which I learned... They're not always watertight. You might buy an energy voice of those. Some of them have a little leaks in them. So we had some nice salty, salt water flavored flapjacks as we went around, <laughs> and, um, but you're so hungry, you don't care. You eat anything. And then I remember at the end, just standing at the top of these lakes. And we were like, do we really have to get in that again? You know, you're so cold, you're so. your skin's wrinkly. And every little bit of you just does not want to get into mm. that water, but you have to to finish. So that, that's a lesson in really trying to override that drive when every fibre is saying no, 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 and you have to you have to do it.
1: And does that help you now in in what you do? Do you? I mean, we talked about tenacity, but, but can you pull on experiences like that? Actually, mentally conjure those experiences up and think, "Well, if I can do that, I can do anything."
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It makes um, well, it makes more everyday challenges seem quite small. And I think the other thing you learn is like sort of how to manage time in a way. Because I think now, whenever I'm sitting through, say, uh, I'm trying to translate this into business, like a really boring meeting or a really challenging meeting. I just think, okay, this is half an hour. This is half an hour. That's the equivalent of um, four hill reps, or that's the equivalent of half my turbo session. A turbo is a, a stationary bike, you know. And I put it in those kind of contexts, and you just know because I think what these endurance challenges teach you is everything comes to an end. You can be in so much pain, or be so cold, or so wet, and every bit of you is just oh, when am i going to get home when am i going to when am i going to get to eat when am i going to get warm and it always ends touch wood nothing really yeah. bad has happened um so you know everything teaches you that things actually come to an end or it's just a case of mm-hmm. riding it out and you just start to learn these methods of It's just one more second, one more second, you know, and the accumulation, you think, okay, I've got four more hours of this. That's several thousand seconds, whatever. But every second that you do is another one. And you start to think like that. It's just a case of riding it out. Um, And so when you come to like be in a boring meeting or have a difficult conversation, you just apply the same thing. It's going to be over soon. It's just, just got to get through it.
1: And breaking things down like that it can be so powerful, can't it? Into into those uh, segments that, you, as you say, you you learn to to deal with. And I actually think it can make you be more present in those moments as well. When when you kind of approach it in the way that you do, e- even if it might not be super entertaining or interesting, there is a a sort of a thought process that if if you see it as well, I'm here now. I'm I'm gonna get through this. I might as well be present mentally, as well as physically, and and engage with what's going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Um, and I try and do that when I'm running or cycling, I try and be present, because I think there is a negative side to concentrating on that time, but I just, you know, the, the tool I just explained, that is useful if you're saying, oh, I've just got this, just a few more, you know, it's just several thousand more seconds. Oh, three seconds is just gone. That's useful. However, I do think that method also makes you, can make you unpresent because you can't, because what happens is then I constantly am just thinking of time. So what I also do to counter that, sometimes I've running or cycling. I try, like you say, just to be present and just think, let's feel my body. Let's feel what my legs are doing. Let's feel what uh, air I'm breathing. Let's look at the scenery. Cause it is also easy just to think, just to, start, just to count down the whole time. Um, so actually I do try sometimes if I'm in the midst of um, a painful bit of a, a cycle, like I'm going up a hill or, if I'm doing some running intervals, and you know you're at that high heart rate stage where it's pretty painful, I do sometimes just think, stop concentrating on how hard this is, hmm. and just think of, um, just think of the flowing movement. Think where your body is. Hmm. Think, uh, you know, this is life. You know what I mean? Just hmm. think, uh, this is, and um, what I'm experiencing is um, the joy of movement and the joy of life. So hmm. I think there is two ways you, you can look at it.
1: Have you had any setbacks across the last 10 years that you had to deal with that have, have also helped you learn and, and be better, either in business or in in, in running?
0: Lots. I mean, you know, in, in running and fitness, obviously there's the obvious things like injuries. Um, most of my injuries have come from falling off my bike. Um, thank goodness that most things have been fairly mm-hmm. minor. The biggest injury I had was a was an ankle injury that led to surgery so that was two years ago I had to have some ankle surgery so I was out for about six months and that's a huge setback because when you um you know start to rely on exercise as your feel-good factor and as your as part of your routine and your way to get fresh air and your way to get exercise and your way to energize yourself that's quite hard to then not have that but I think it's also good to to not have it sometimes so that you can rely on, uh, more organic, you know, just kind of live life normally and not rely on the fitness. I do think there is some good in that. Um, but then setbacks in business. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'd say running a business, the whole thing is a setback. You're you're constant, the whole, running a business is one massive battle against Mm -hmm. setbacks, particularly in the early stages. And, I I honestly think that running a business is the hardest thing I've ever done and I have so much respect for anyone who does it and manages to grow a business and and reach their goals whether that's to sell a business or to reach a certain milestone it is and I've done some some ambitious things I've written three books and lots of people say to me wow how did you have the focus to write three books or you know I've I've trained I qualified for age group team gb in triathlon that was pretty hard managed to do that amazing all these things but honestly running a business is way way harder it's so complex uh you are navigating so many things people management structure a project management system um leading people so that they're aligned with the same goal you are um putting just basic infrastructure in place, just things like invoicing systems and tax and VAT, um, recruitment, knowing who to hire, um, just uh, the legals of it, uh, the direction, keeping clients happy, making sure that everything's consistent. It, it's just so much to oversee.
1: Where do you get your energy and and inspiration from to do that? Uh,
0: you know, I, I it's... It's, I view building a business as an outlet for creativity. It's a really good question because I did ask that myself recently. Like, where does this, where does this uh, drive come? Because you have to have a lot of drive to build a mm. business. And I thought, what, what's the drive come from? Because it's not to make money. I'm not really that, obviously, we need to make an income. But I'm not money driven. I wouldn't have gone into journalism if I was money driven. So I thought, where does this come from? And likewise, where does the drive to run? come from um i think it's an urge to create and an urge to create systems so you put that into context of business right create creating a business is a highly creative process because what you're doing is you're creating a, a system and a vision and a new way of doing something no matter what your business is even if you run a corner shop you're doing it in a slightly different way than someone else and mm-hmm. you are um building a culture and 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 you're taking pride in what you do in the style of what you do in what you sell Um, and and it's that and i've always been very creative and i look back at all the things i've done in life like when i was younger really wanted was always writing short stories or when i was a you know even from being a little girl i always wanted to create something um writing a book is all about creating it And, and that's what a business is on a bigger scale and then you apply that to um running and to fitness and it's the same thing because my um training regime is about creating a training plan and I put my own spin on it and you kind of do right I'm going to do intervals this day I'm going to do strength this day I'm going to do endurance this day and you create like, your own signature style and I honestly think it comes from this urge um yeah, to create your own little signature um, system for something.
1: And tell us a little bit about the journey with Thought Leadership PR and, and when you started and where you are now, because it's been constant growth, hasn't it, across the last few years?
0: It has, with with um, with with its setbacks. Um, so I started uh, the business four years ago in January 2019. And as I said before, I was just started off as a one-person band, as a consultant, really. So I was just doing, you know, bits of media consultancy under my own name. And then when I um, came to employ someone, or when I was ready to employ someone, then I had to actually think of a name for the business because I couldn't just be Helen Croydon doing um, a little bit of of consultancy work. I had to actually become a business. So I... Um, chose thought leadership PR because the term thought leadership seemed to capture best what we do. What we do is personal profile raising, positioning people as experts and the reason for that is that is what I had to do for myself as an author and journalist. So yes it's under the umbrella of PR but we're not really conventional PR, we don't do PR for businesses or events or products. I, I wouldn't actually know how to do that uh, what i know how to do is get expertise out there so uh you know i know how to how to get opinion pieces in the media i know how to get people onto podcasts or to comment on news stories on the radio or tv so there is an overlap with general pr but it but it is quite specialized so um so yeah so thought leadership was a kind of buzz word in PR world at the time, so called the business Thought Leadership PR. And um, then that's what we we focused on. You know, I suppose I positioned myself as helping people with personal PR. And we got some good clients, really interesting clients in the the beginning. We had a politician, we had a venture capitalist, um, we had several founders of businesses. But I think what happens in the beginning of a business is you you have a rough idea of what you wanna do. So my rough idea was personal PR, but you still haven't, that's still quite broad, right? You still don't quite nail exactly who you are best qualified to serve until you've been hmm. doing business for a good couple of years, two, three years. And I always say, my business, one bit of advice in business is in the first two or even three years of business you've got to be a yes person you have to say yes to everything and if anyone says with all this advice oh no you've got to um you know to t- be specific on who you serve. That's great advice if, if you've been in business a while and you know exactly what you do. But in the beginning, say yes to everything. And that is very stressful because you end up bending over backwards to do slightly different things. But it's only when you can take a step back and say, Oh, right, I served this client very well. Oh, didn't do a very good job for them. Serve this client quite well. Then you can look back and say, Okay, I know what it is I do now, and I know what it is I do well. And that's when you can start saying no to clients. So a big milestone in my business was when the first time mm-hmm. I turned a potential lead away. And it felt really good.
1: I think there's, and you've described it perfectly there, somebody mentioned on a conversation the other week about um, the, I th- and, and I'll I'll paraphrase, but it was something like the drunken stagger of the entrepreneur. And this idea that, you know, when you see the finished product the finished business all polished and out there it, it looks great and you think oh wow that's you know they've done that that's easy how have they managed to do that but you don't realize all those steps and and uh, you know the staggering that you've done en route to get to that point and and that yeah. open that openness that you talked about and just being open to those experiences and people can take that initial business vision that you might have had in a different direction which you might not have thought about at the beginning and it might be super successful and a, and a great opportunity yeah
0: exactly exactly but i think that applies to life you've got to say yes to everything. It's, it's like a fitness right so it's like my running journey i was a yes person at the beginning i went off to the running club and i said yes to a 10 mile run and i said and i said yes to open water swimming and i said yes to cycling i nearly killed myself but f- through that i realized what i what worked for me what i liked what i enjoyed and now for instance um, I don't do every training session, I know that I have the training sessions that suit me, the, one, the ones that suit my training plan, the ones that I enjoy. I'm no longer a yes person in, in the endurance world, but I was at first. And I'm no longer a yes person in the business world either because I know now what we do well and what we don't do well and what sort of clients we wanna work with um, and what sort of clients we can help. But I would never have got there if I hadn't have been a yes person so and that's the same with everything in life it's the same with relationships it's the same with friendships you've got to embrace things um be a yes person go on dates with lots of people try and make friends with lots of people then you learn mm, actually no, no, no that's not going to work so I think as you get on what that probably means and is as you get older you become more discerning but that's fine because you know what uh, what is going to work for you and what is not going to work
1: mm-hmm. for you. It, this might not be relevant, but I want to ask because it's, it's a hot topic at the moment. Artificial intelligence, AI in the space, in, 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 mm. in, in the media space, in, in the world you're in. Uh, do you have a view on that? Is it something that you're noticing uh, coming into play in, in your space and being used?
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it is, it is worrying in the writing space. I mean, that is what, uh, that's the hot topic at the moment among writers is, is chat GBT going to take over um, writers mm. roles. Now, I think, and this, this uh, obviously this may be, be ill fated words, but I think no way can, uh, can AI um, capture what humans can write. Yet Now, I say this from a writer's lens, and I say this with a lot of experience of reviewing non-professional writers' content. Mm -hmm. So, I've done this both as a journalist, I uh, got to see a lot of things that were written by... Um, you know, by non-professional writers, either like opinion pieces that had been submitted to wherever I was working on a news desk or press releases that I'd been sent or pitched to. And then now as a PR, I see a lot of work that um, either my clients have written or um, that marketing teams within my clients' organizations may have written or other, other PRs as well. And I have spotted a lot of trends that there are there are clear trends that where non-professional writing falls down things like you know um tautology so you know saying the same point two or three times but in different words or using um multiple adjectives or or saying you know expressing a point in a in a brilliant, perfectly brilliant sentence that makes sense and that flows, but doesn't actually contribute to the overall point of the article. You know, that's classic, right? So, and what I'm finding is I've I've read a few uh, articles generated by ChatGBT, and that's the sort of thing they do. So on surface value, they read very well because they're grammatical, there's a wide range of vocabulary. So you you read it and you go, oh, okay, that's good. But then you read it, you read it really, and you think, okay, what point are you trying to make? And there isn't really that much structure or there isn't really that much, um, there isn't really an overarching point. And I think you only recognize that if you're a trained writer, a trained journalist. So I personally, don't think that uh, it's a threat yet to professional writers.
1: Watch this space, isn't it? Because it's 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 just it feels like it's moving so quickly, doesn't it? Um, and new stuff and new ways of, of it being used are coming along all the time. But I, I hear what you're saying about the that skill and and the depth of of skill that AI just isn't quite there with, particularly in in, in your 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 crafted space of creativity.
0: Yeah, there's one other thing I'll say on AI, and and that's not in the writing. So so another way that AI is being applied to PR, which I fundamentally disagree with, is um, helping with so called media outreach. What media outreach means is pitching to journalists, basically. So this is a lot of PRs do a lot of this, that is that is the bread and butter of their work. So, and it's the hardest bit of PR. Pitching to journalists, journalists get pitched to all the time so they ignore probably 99% of PR's emails. So because of that, because it's a problem, some tech platforms based on AI emerge to try to solve the problem because that's always how tech emerges. So I'm seeing this increase in platforms selling, their services promising to help PRs with their media outreach so I've looked into some of these and honestly the, the, the principle of wh- how they operate is the exact opposite to what I would recommend how a human does it so what they do is for example they'll say oh we've got some Automated uh, recognition system where every time a journalist on Twitter mentions a keyword, we can send out an automated pitch for you. And I just shake my head in in, in belief because the art of pitching and the reason why I think my business is quite good at what we do is that we are ex journalists. My business model is I employ ex journalists. So we know what journalists want. So when we write a pitch to a journalist, we are absolutely making it bespoke and personal and we never do a scattergun uh, pitch we know what the story is we know what the format of a publication um articles are to pitch it and we uh, and that's how we pitch if we were to use some ai tool that sends out some automated pitch because a journalist happens to mention the word i don't know uh ESG or something in an article so then they just pitch some article that's like got some tenuative link to ESG it's never going to work but that there are loads of AI platforms doing this and I just think no 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 it's never going to work
1: that level of personalization that you you touched upon there and it's something that actually I think has come up and is probably going to come back around you know, the the old email, and actually you know it used to be the the letter that you'd write to somebody and maybe so that's moved on, but actually, I think there's a bit of a resurgence of a personal email reaching out to an individual in a way that it's it's obviously crafted and and tailored to that person rather than as you say the the scattergun approach
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely um although the trouble is it's just getting people to read the email i mean there's just so much noise out there, isn't there there's so much yeah. My Im- I mean, my inbox is just getting to the point where it's unmanageable and that's just email and you've got WhatsApp and you've got, you know, texts and LinkedIn and uh, it's, God. And then I got an invite the other day to join something called Discord, which is like another yeah. kind of chat platform and then some clients want me to use slack to. Go, i can't i don't know how anyone manages it all i find it all quite stressful i just want one one channel you know it is it's becoming a real problem and a real impediment to doing real work
1: mm. one one channel in of, i mean video calling is a great example of where You've got the Zoom and you've got the, the Teams and you've you've got you know FaceTime that some people are using and, and all the other sort of versions and Slack video that exist. And it can be quite uh draining to to be swishing between these these different platforms and all the the, the snags that, that go with them.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. And that is another reason why running and just getting outside and away from all that is so important. Because I think we are just increasingly being drawn onto our screens um to like to look at different things you know notifications so i do think when you're you're out exercising it's the one time where your brain is just focusing on one thing and that is a much needed thing
1: so so on that note business aside what's your favorite bit of, of running kit or accessory that you can't do without
0: oh uh, probably my my watch because I'm, sta- I'm I'm addicted to, to, to statistics, which doesn't go very well with what I've just said about being present, does it? it uh, <laughs> sometimes I do think I should just run without it, but I do love my stats.
1: And you can brand drop if you want any kind of particular kind of watch.
0: Am I allowed it- to brand? Yeah, I've got uh, Garmin. Um, I I do like their stats on Garmin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm with you. Yeah, and um, it it all feeds into. Strava so I think Strava is probably the only social media platform that I actually use because I find I've come off um Facebook and Twitter and all those well I'm still on them but I don't use them just because I find it's a, a drain on my attention so I've stopped using it but Strava I do quite like because um it just automatically updates my um, all my all my workouts and I really yeah. like it.
1: I love getting new people onto Strava. I've got a, a friend who I've committed to do a, a marathon in France with in the autumn, which involves wine, which is a separate conversation, which I, I, I'll share at another time. But he's he's sort of new onto Strava, and it's a whole new world when you get somebody in and they can kind of see your, <laughs> your stats and and sharing it in terms of what what people are up to. Uh, yeah, but, but it is a great platform.
0: A question on Strava: Do you do you share just like? The, the the obvious strava activities like running cycling swimming or would you put say you know a gym workout or a yoga workout on there
1: it's a good question i mean i i did put gym workout uh when i went to the gym but i tend to do most of it at home now so i i kind of think you know it's a bit strange to be doing something in in the spare room at home and it go on strava but you know <laughs> and and most of the stuff i do is running anyway so uh, but that's a good that's a good question there's a lot of a lot of potential detail in in Strava, and it's yeah, just, people started yeah. to put
0: dog walks and things on yeah. there. So.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I see a lot of this time of year a, a lot of golf courses being walked, and I think is that really is that exercise? Can that be on Strava? Uh, but I know there will be people that say it absolutely is. Uh, but yeah, Strava great platform. And then if we switch to um, you know back to business. Um, is, is there, you know, despite what we've said about, you know, business apps and things, is there anything, is there a tool, is there an app or uh, even a person that, that from your business perspective, thought leadership, PR's perspective that you couldn't do without?
0: Oh, um, what could we not do without? Um, I think I couldn't do without my team. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, it's, I think, that, um, yeah, cause they are, they are great writers they really are so that's and I'm hugely grateful for my team and I haven't and I haven't always got the team right I have made had to make um not nice decisions and get rid of people that were not right but when you get get people that are right it's great but tool um in terms of project manager I am big on project management tools because I I use something called notion um and that's because you I could you can build notion in a way that suits you and suits the way that you do things um so I've built it yeah uh, without getting into the detail of it, it just suits our project management system and the key the key to our project management system comes from the um school of thought called getting things done have you ever heard of that
1: yeah Sometimes there's another word that's included in that that I probably can't say on on on, on this podcast, but uh, if if that makes sense.
0: Ah, okay, yeah. So An we, expletive, I, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So there was. I can't remember who the guru is behind it, but it's, it's become yeah. one of these things. You know, it's a it's a method. It's a methodology, and the one thing from that that I took away was always create your to do lists in four. Categories. One is the to do, obviously. One is the complete, obviously. And most people just arrange their to dos with to do and complete. But what we do is there's two other categories, and that's chasing waiting and idea. And if you if you arrange your to do list in those things, everything makes sense. So that's what we do in our business. So for example, if something's on your to do list, like send an email to X person. You send the email, you don't put it in complete, you put it in chasing waiting because you're mm. waiting for a reply. Uh, and you never put anything in complete until there's absolutely nothing else to be done on it. Uh, and then idea is for things that you're not quite ready to action yet, but you don't want it to fall off your radar, but you don't want it to clog up your to-do, bo- to-do list. So you put it in idea. Honestly, that system is, is the best. So that's the system we operate.
1: Uh, David Allen is the guy behind ah, that. Ah, is it uh, okay? I've yeah. got him
0: to thank for that.
1: Yeah, and uh, it, it, he did. He doesn't swear. In uh, that's co- something completely. Oh, okay. different. Is that so, something different? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, get stuff done. I think you know. You know where I'm going with that. Yeah. Uh, Helen, finally, uh, if if somebody's been listening to this and is is thinking about taking up running. Uh, specifically uh, off the back of this conversation, what, what advice would you, would you leave for anybody uh, who's listening to this in a business or a leadership role who wants to get out there and take up running?
0: I'd say just start um, with a little bit, you know, don't, just, don't do what I do and just go into a 10 mile run from nowhere because it might put you off. Just like 10 minutes, even if you do 10 minutes, it's, it's better than no minutes um that's what I say um and also do I, I personally I think doing something in the morning is better because you get the daylight and it sets you up for the day although I know uh, there's lots of things to do in the morning for everyone says everything's best Meditation's better in the morning um journaling's better in the morning everything's apparently better in the morning so I know that a lot of people have other things to do in the morning but I think getting that fresh air and daylight is good Um, But just little, little bits, 10 minutes. And then you might, when you like it, you might do 12 minutes. When you like it a bit more, you might do 15 minutes.
1: That's a great way to finish. Just get out there and, and do something and then build from there. It's all about the small steps, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you so much for, for your time on Run the Business today. It's been it's been awesome to catch up. Um in terms of the book This Girl Ran people can get it can't they from uh, wherever they get their books whether that's you know I know it's it's available on Kindle I believe as well as um as in bookshops. Uh,
0: yes, it is. Uh all all bookshops and um yeah, and that's it really This Girl Ran and um and you can see what we do in our business at uh, thoughtleadershippr.com.
1: Helen, thank you so much and uh, enjoy the next run.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks to Helen Croydon for her time on Run the Business this week. Tenacity, resilience, confidence were some of the key things that I'm taking away from that conversation and things that Helen took from running into the rest of her life. I also liked how she described the process of joining a running club uh, 10 years ago, coming out of her comfort zone it put her in a position to grow as a person, meet new people, try different things. And that threw up so many positive benefits from those new experiences uh, and those experiences, the effect that they had on her life. And boy, did she try some amazing things. It was great hearing a talk about the creativity as well that's involved in devising, launching and running a business. We don't always consider that. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then please follow run the business, like, share, tell people about it. It all helps. That said, a bit of news to finish this week as well. I've decided that we're going to take a break from the weekly updates to the podcast at this point. I'm planning for it to return, but we have a few other priorities on at the moment, which mean I personally can't dedicate the time to the podcast that I'd like to. So it's paused for the moment. Thanks, as always, to Anna Harding and Chris Kelly for their production research and general super skills in making what you're listening to now possible i couldn't do it without them so thanks guys and kate Dunstan as well for her marketing and messaging skills and the wider Real to media team for their support as well thank you i'm anthony gay and until next time keep running and keep chasing your goals